Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about every leader's least favorite subject, meetings. And we're going to show you how you can turn that around, I promise. We're going to show you how the right meetings can energize your team to do their most productive work. That's right, but that's not most people's experience. <laughs> Mostly it feels like there are way too many meetings, they're a waste of your time because you don't really need to be there, or it just sucks the life out of your team when they feel like they could be doing more productive work. It just doesn't necessarily feel like it's contributing to what you're really trying to do. So that's what we're going to talk about today because it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. And we've got an answer or a series of answers, and we've developed a meeting rhythm and cadence that really works. We've tested it on ourselves, we use it, and we don't hate meetings anymore. And we've got Larry, who's our senior writer, the writer on the podcast, and he's here to guide us through the content. Hey, Larry. Hey, Larry. Hey, guys. Uh, Well, Michael, you actually have written a book on meetings called No Fail Meetings. And some of the stats that uh, are in that book are just kind of amazing. Like middle managers spend like 35% of their time in meetings. And in upper management, that can be 50% of their time or more in meetings. It's probably more for me. I'm probably 60% easy. When I was in the corporate world, I would say it was probably 80% of my time. Mm -hmm. 25 million business meetings a day in American businesses. That's a lot of meetings. I thought I was in a lot of meetings. It's a lot of bad coffee. (laughs) Yeah. The cost, as uh, you've pointed out elsewhere, like $37 billion a year is the cost for unproductive time spent in meetings. Meetings can be good, important. We're going to talk about that. But I think we've all got our bad meeting story. What's the worst meeting you've ever been in? I would say, I don't know that I have a specific story of a particular one, but but the worst kinds of meetings I've ever been in are consensus decision-making meetings, like committee meetings where no one wants to be the decision maker. Um, it feels like you're wasting your time because you're giving your input, but then someone else has a, a contrary point of view and there's no reconciliation. And so you just keep going round and round. And at the end of the meeting, you just schedule another meeting. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. I think... Those kinds of meetings typically happen in companies and in organizations because there's a leader that isn't clear about what he wants, That's and right. so he punts to a committee, or maybe he doesn't want to take responsibility for the outcome, so he thinks that if he can kind of you know spread uh, the joy, so to speak, then he doesn't have to be responsible. But I hate all those. They usually start with no clear purpose, very little preparation, no clear outcome. You don't know when the meeting's over because nobody stated what the meeting objective is. So that, that to me is meeting hell. Well, as you've pointed out, uh, Michael, meeting culture is broken, but use right, the lowly meeting can actually supercharge your team's productivity. It's true. And we're going to show you how to structure meetings that will do exactly that. Here at Michael Hyatt and Company, we have meetings structured at three levels, and I'd like for you to walk us through them and show them how this rhythm and structure works. And level one is one-on-one meetings. What's this level about? 
So this is generally about uh, meeting with your direct reports on a regular basis. So you're able to stay connected uh, with them, help them remove roadblocks and understand what kind of progress they're making. So in our case, that happens either weekly or biweekly in that one-on-one context with direct reports. It also happens uh, in an annual review meeting in a one-on-one with your direct reports. But the kind of questions that were Um, asking or that are on the agenda in those meetings are what kind of progress are you making on your quarterly goals? So each one of our um, department heads, for example, are working on two to three quarterly goals per quarter with their teams. And so they're reporting on the progress of those goals. I'm also going to ask them if they have any other updates for me. So this is just their opportunity to keep me looped in on what's happening. I'm going to ask them if they have any decisions that they need me to make or if there's anything that's standing in the way of their progress because very often I'm the bottleneck. They either need a yes or a no for me or they need some kind of direction um, to continue making progress. And that's the opportunity. But those are happening for me with most of my direct reports every other week for 45 minutes. You know, I had a boss once who had meetings scheduled of that type, kind of project updates and that kind of thing, weekly. And he canceled them probably two weeks out of three. Mm. It seems like some managers, some leaders are, they just don't see this as important. Sure, we know we ought to meet some, but go do your work and you'll be fine. What's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is that you need to try to consolidate all the questions, all the approvals into one block of time. This is really a key to not interrupting each other all through the week. So that every time you need an answer from your boss, every time you need to discuss something or need their input, you're interrupting them. They can't get their work done. You're not very organized in getting your own work done. By consolidating them into a uh, weekly meeting with a standardized agenda, you could begin to populate that. Obviously, if something urgent comes up, you you always have the option of going to that person outside of that meeting. But it, I, I think it just creates more order inside of the organization and makes sure that that there's visibility and reportability on a regular basis mm-hmm. so that you don't lose sight of the objectives. It's easy to do, by the way. It, it is. Especially and the more direct reports you have. It, it's true. And I think it's easy as a manager, if you're not careful, to abdicate, to just not check back in on those projects and expect them to be getting done and then get surprised when they're not getting done simply because you as a leader aren't raising them up to a level of visibility where you could both feel accountable to them. And you said something there I want to follow up on, a standardized agenda. Yeah. You have the same agenda for every meeting with your direct reports. Yes. Yep. And in fact, I actually have my direct reports prepare their answers to those questions in advance. So they're thinking through what they're updating me on in advance rather than having it kind of be all over the place, which can be really inefficient, cause meetings to run too long. Um, I want them to prepare for those meetings uh, so that it's really efficient. Yeah. Think of it as a blueprint. That's really what you want is a blueprint with certain, and it's going to be different for everybody. And it's probably going to be different for a lot of different positions, depending on what they're doing and at what level they're doing it. But to have a blueprint so that nobody's surprised, this is what we're going to cover, prepare beforehand, like Megan said, you know, write out these answers and get here. I I think another thing that we use in those meetings typically, and I don't know how you're using them, but it's what we call our recommendation briefing form. That's right. Which is basically the proposal so that somebody doesn't show up needed an answer from me, but they haven't do the, done the hard work yes. and the hard thinking yeah. before they get there. And they're kind of putting that on me. That monkey gets put on yes. my back. And so what we want to do through that form is get them to think through, you know, what is it they want to do? 
Why is it important to the organization? What is the cost? You know, and what is the benefit? Mm -hmm. So they've done that hard thinking and they can present it very quickly. And it's only a couple of pages long, but they can present that very quickly and get an answer that they need very quickly. Uh, one of the things that happened to me now close to a year ago, maybe not quite that much, maybe eight months ago, is I realized that I was having some significant decision fatigue. I have seven direct reports and I basically make decisions for a living. You know, it's like my whole job. The problem with that is it's exhausting. You know, there's so much mental gymnastics that's happen that is happening. And so what would happen in these one-on-one -on -one meetings sometimes is that um, how I could help, you know, that part of the agenda would become a brainstorming session for decision-making. And I found that exhausting. Like, I don't really want to be involved in the decision-making process beyond what I can uniquely contribute, which is usually some initial vision casting at the beginning and then giving final approval with the context of what, what the investment's going to be if it's a financial decision. Um, so I kind of set up a new uh, protocol where I'm not going to make decisions or discuss decisions unless someone makes a formal recommendation to me, because the truth is the people that report to me are the experts in their particular areas. They know more about the decision that they want to make than I do. What I can do that only I can do is say yes or no. Um, and certainly we go through it and we talk about it, but it's much more efficient. So very often in advance of these meetings, someone will have submitted to me because my rule is it has to be given to me 24 hours in advance, you know, or one business day ahead of time uh, before the meeting. I will review these in advance. So I'll know exactly what decisions we're going to make in that meeting. Um, and if they haven't given me sufficient information, you know, it just kind of goes back to them and they're going to have to get more more information. And we'll have a link to the recommendation briefing form in the show notes and also a document called the Effective Meeting Blueprint, which gets back, Michael, to the agenda concept that we've been talking about. Could I say one more advantage of having you submit that 24 hours in, in advance? Uh, one of the things I like about the recommendation briefing form is that it follows deductive logic. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. I'm the kind of thinker that tell me what you want, you know, give me the conclusion and then give me the data that supports the conclusion. I don't like inductive reasoning. In other words, don't take me on a ride where I don't oh know what the destination is. I, it makes me crazy. And it that's where the crazy. fatigue comes in on the decision yep. making is, is going on all those rides. So just go ahead and, and tell me what you want. I'll suspend judgment. You know, I'll give you a chance to build your case and make your case, but I want to know where this ride's going. That's right. So that form, make sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your direct reports enjoy these meetings or find them, I got to go meet with the boss? Or can you tell? I think they enjoy them. <laughs> Maybe you should interview them. I, well, I, you, you have one-on-one -on -one meetings with me. Right. How do you feel about them? I love it. Ours are a little more informal, if we're honest. Yeah. You know, like I would say the primary purpose of our one-on-one -on -one meetings is really connection and mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's really what uh, is the outcome we're after in that meeting. It's a little different than my direct reports, which are much more focused on execution. And that's just kind of the different natures of our roles. But I think my direct reports like their meeting with me. I mean, it's kind of their their opportunity for undivided attention um, to really focus on their area of the business. And I think they're great. So the first level of meetings are one-on-one -on -one meetings, and those are generally weekly or bi-weekly, and this is a time to touch base on your team's work, get status updates on projects, and for them to recommend actions to you. Level two are work group meetings. What's this work group meeting concept? Yeah, so these could be departmental meetings. They could be cross-functional meetings. 
They could be standing committees, you know, that have work that's ongoing. They could be temporary task force, but it's usually a small group of people. And by the way, it's really important who gets on these meetings because you don't want anybody that's not making a contribution. You know, you may have one person there, like uh, one of our assistants who's taking notes and tracking action items and that kind of thing. But I feel like if somebody's going to sit in that meeting and not make a contribution, you know, it's it's a waste of their time and it's a waste of uh, the organization's uh, resources. But you've got to have this if you believe in co- uh, collaboration. You've got to have opportunities to collaborate, to cooperate, to be able to focus your work and communicate about about your work. So that's that's kind of the rationale for them. Give me a, a rundown on the specific work group meetings that you participate in. So the first one is an executive team meeting, which we have twice a month. So one of those meetings is our monthly financial review, and the other is intended to be an opportunity for us to do, to discuss um, important aspects of the business that are you know working on the business, not in the business. So perhaps something in the future that we're considering, an opportunity or a challenge we're facing. And I just want to say by the executive team, these are the people that report directly to you or to me, but these are the functional heads, like the head of marketing, head of finance, head of product, so forth. Exactly. So those are happening twice a month. Then we also have our leadership team, which includes the executive team, but also our directors, um, many of whom report to the executives. And those of us are, are, that group of people, we're together twice a month also. Then the directors on their own meet twice a month. So they're really talking about execution, uh, things at a tactical level that would not necessarily be relevant um, to the executive team, but a lot of cross-functional collaboration happens at that meeting, and it's really important for them. And it also is is designed to defeat the silo effect. Yes, so that's that, right. So that we don't have departments kind of going off on their own without communication with other departments mm-hmm. that need to know or, or will be affected. Right. And then we have some cross-functional teams. For example, our content and marketing teams regularly meet together. Uh, we have what's called a principal's workbench, which is the two of us with uh, either Larry or Mandy, who's another of our senior content creators who does our live event content. Um, and in those meetings, we're talking about content that you guys are creating for us that you need our input on. Um, those happen either once a week or twice a month, just kind of depending on what the content are, demands yeah. are. That's right. So, um, and in these meetings, part of the purpose is uh, collaborative. Part of the purpose is connection. And I would say that the collaboration is the biggest component of this. Who drives the agenda for these meetings? And is it the same agenda each time, such as it was with the one-on-one meetings? Some of them are. Like departmental meetings could be the same basic agenda every time. Uh, the executive team, certainly, when we're getting together for the financial review, that follows a pretty set format. I would say the other meeting, the the one that where the executives are getting together and it's more about connection and just catching up, that tends to be pretty freewheeling. Or we might have certain projects that we want to consider and, and have an opportunity to deliberate over a more extended period of time uh, than we can typically get in the business. So, yeah, I think whatever serves the outcome we're trying to create. But that's a key thing. We have a, a single meeting organizer who's responsible for the agenda and for identifying the outcome of the meeting so that we don't come into a meeting without an agenda, without a clearly defined um, outcome that we're after. Because we want to know when the meeting's over. So on one-on-one meetings, the meeting organizer is the leader. Actually, no. 
So okay. you, so in in my one-on-one meetings, my direct reports prepare the agenda and bring it. It's their meeting with me. So I'm there to uh, you know help them in whatever way they need. I mean, according to the you know preset agenda that we have, but they're populating the agenda. I'm not bringing bringing that to the table. I'm not leading the meeting. Um, I'm really there to serve them. And you know they're very disciplined, so they're good at leading meetings and we're done on time and all those kinds of things. But I think that's an important distinction um, in the executive and leadership team meetings. I'm generally leading those meetings um, other than the financial review, which our CFO would lead. And then, you know, whoever is the owner of the project or, or content, um, the kind of the person who is the biggest stakeholder would be the leader of the meetings um, that are cross-functional. What's the biggest mistake that we can make in the second level of meetings, the work group or team level meetings? I think not having a clear outcome that mm-hmm. you're, what's the work product of that group? What is it that you're there to decide or to, you know, communicate or collaborate on? I think having that outcome in mind is is crucial. I think having too many people or too few people. Mm-hmm. So you really need to have all the key stakeholders, but not more than that and not less than that. And it's worth reevaluating on a regular basis. Who those people are. Yep. Level one in an effective meeting rhythm and structure is one-on-one meetings, which are typically held with direct reports every week or two weeks. Level two is workgroup meetings, which are team or cross-functional meetings, which may be held once or twice a month or as needed. That brings us to level three, which is entire team meetings. And I think by entire team, you mean everybody, the whole company. That's right. So we do this in three different ways. Uh, First of all, we have a monthly all-team meeting. And this is when um, we have lunch together, we play games together when the meeting's done. But the meeting itself is about reporting on our progress toward our annual goals and our financial results for the prior month. So those are the two things as well as usually some announcements. And let me say, that's really important to keep everybody engaged. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been in organizations where top management didn't feel like they could share sort of the results or the progress. And it was always a mystery. And when you're in an organization like that, you feel very disconnected from the company. You don't feel like you're in it together. You feel like management is withholding information, that they're not being transparent. And and it, I, I think it causes you to detach and be less engaged. So in companies where they do practice open book management, where you do have access to the financial performance of the company and the goals and all the rest, you know, the, the people that are on your team can be part of the solution. So, for example, if you're not hitting your targets, if you're not meeting your goals, well, you know, the people can roll up their sleeves and, and all pitch in. And also, you want a group of people to be able to, you want people to be able to celebrate when you're hitting your goals. You don't want to waste that either. So, regardless of the situation, that's important for the team. Mm-hmm. Then the next all team meeting we have is a quarterly team training and goal setting meeting. So on that day, what we do is we have some kind of a training that happens for about half a day. We're actually going to be extending this a little bit longer and making this a day and a half meeting. I think going forward, talk about some of the kinds of trainings we've done. Have grown. Yeah, so it could be something very practical. For example, we just um, at our most recent event, we walked people through some training in our tech tools that we're using company wide. We made some changes and simplification there. 
um, which we talked about in a recent episode, and we walked people through that. But then it could also be something that's around personal development, like we've uh, brought in our friend Ian Cron on a number of occasions to talk about the Enneagram and how to think about your own personality type in the context of your work. Um, we've done that with the Colby Corporation and Amy Bruski, who's their president. Um, we have done uh, a training around the Loyalist Team, the book The Loyalist Team, you know, and so kind of like team development. So we're really looking at that as kind of a professional development time that we can invest in our team and develop their capabilities. Um, but then the second half of the day is devoted to quarterly goal setting. So each department will break up into little mini groups after we've reviewed our annual goals. So we have seven to 10 annual goals for the year. And then we're focusing by department on two to three goals per quarter that relate to those annual goals. So the content team, for example, will spend about an hour working through their goals and coming up with their areas of focus for the next quarter that they're going to kind of rally around. So by the time everybody leaves, they know exactly what they're going to be working on for the next quarter to drive the company goals forward. This is particularly important in a company like ours where while we do have a centralized office, we don't require anybody to work there full time. So our people love the connection mm -hmm. they get from these meetings. Now we do have the office now, which is a co-working space so people can come in and, and connect. But for you example, Larry, you live remotely. You don't live in Tennessee with, with uh, the rest of us, most of us. And so for you to be able to come into a quarterly training, I suspect is probably important for you to feel connected. You're here for our podcast, but it gives you an opportunity to feel more connected to the larger team and, and keep in mind the bigger vision. It absolutely does. And I think that same value would apply in a company that was maybe a little bit larger, mm -hmm. but everybody was on site. You still don't get together with people cross-departmentally or see the whole scope of the of the personnel or the team. So it's absolutely a treasured time, I think, for all of us mm -hmm. to come together and have something poured into us, the training, and then a little bit of rallying around the goal and, frankly, some accountability for last quarter's goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I would say it's also some celebration. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we do too little celebration, you know, in most companies. And I think that, that that's another thing. What people want to know they're, they're winning and they're playing with a winning team and they need to be reminded of that. And so we're very in, mm -hmm. intentional about that. And particularly when we move to this last forum, this annual retreat, why don't you yeah. Sure about that. So this is probably my favorite all-team meeting that we do. And this happens at the beginning of the year on an annual basis. And we go away on a retreat together uh, for five days, as we've done in the last couple of years. And I think actually in the, the previous couple before that. Um, and one of those days, we do an annual team meeting. And I think um, I said in another episode that during – these uh, retreats, we've invited the spouses to come, and they're actually invited to our all-team meeting. So not only are all of our team members there, but their spouses are invited to join us too. Why? Uh, Why is that important? Well, that's important because, um, you know, when you think about it, your spouse is spending more time um, at their job than they are at their waking hours with you any other time. True. And so for you to understand what they're working on, why it matters, how it fits into the larger context of your shared life together and your goals um, is huge. We think that the spouses of our team members are, are a huge asset in helping to encourage and motivate and support the team members that are on our team. So um, we want to include them. It really, it really matters to us. So in that meeting, we talk about our vision. We review our vision for our company. We review our mission and we 
talk about our annual goals. Um, we also give awards that are uh, awards related to our core values. So everybody receives, or one rather one person receives um, an award that is in the name of our core value, that they really embody that value and are kind of the poster child for the coming year for that. Um, and that's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I, I have just one suggestion for that uh, award. Oh, tell us. Can we make a rule that you can't win twice in a row? Because otherwise, Neil is going to win infectious enthusiasm. <laughs> I know every it's hard year. to compete. Oh, funny. Neil's our copywriter, and he is just sort of like joy concentrated. So, guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could win every year. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's probably one of my favorite meetings, and I love just the extended time to connect. And you know, the the meeting's great because we do get to cast vision and and make sure that that the spouses are enrolled in that vision and all that. And they ask some tough questions, and mm-hmm. I I love that too. But what I really like is the unstructured time that we're together when we're just on on that property that we go to and we're able to have the fireside chats and, you know, meals together and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of unstructured time together, which is excellent. What's fun about that is that every year we've done it. I have left feeling profoundly grateful for the people that we're entrusted with. Um, There's nothing like spending time together, particularly unstructured time, to make you appreciate and value the people um, that you get to work with every day. And I hope everybody on our team feels like that about each other. But I know certainly um, from my vantage point, you know, it's just it's humbling to see the people that that God's entrusted us with and that we get to steward. I feel the same way. And, you know, I, I really have grown to think of these people as my friends, I hope, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not uh, deceived in that or being too, you know, overly familiar, but I, I just feel like these people are my friends or people I love hanging with. That's right. I think for some companies, the annual employee meeting is, is probably everybody goes to the cafeteria for one hour on a Friday and <laughs> here's whether or not they're going to get a bonus. Right. Can you give me a couple of best practices for structuring these meetings that obviously that that kind of goal accountability and reporting on the company that's part of it but can you give me some best practices for making this a more of a connection time mm-hmm. and more of, more of a time when the team feels validated and valued I don't I don't think this has to be expensive I think it has to be more than a than a 1 hour meeting in the cafeteria you know, I, I've been in previous contexts where we've gone to a state park and the accommodations were very inexpensive and it wasn't as enjoyable as the place we go to now, but just the time together was still amazing, you know, and, and so it all depends what, what people's expectations are, but I, this is an investment. If you're a business, this is a business investment when you think about it, but I don't know of a better investment that you can make than, than making your team feel connected so that they're engaged and it makes all the difference in how they work through the rest of the year. So as we're thinking about planning this, you know, we, we produce events as part of our business. That's one of the things that um, is central to, to what we offer. We think about this just what, like we would think about a commercial event. So we think about for, you know, for this week that we're gone, we think about our team members as our clients and what kind of experience 
experience do we want to create for them? What is the transformation that we're trying to create? And then how can we intentionally set the stage for that? So, you know, for example, we want them to be inspired. And so the content needs to be futuristic and inspiring. Um, We want them to feel connected to each other. So we provide dinner table conversation starters for them. We want it to be fun. So we inject little surprise moments of fun. Um, We want them to feel valued. So we have an award ceremony and gifts in their room when they get there. But all of that starts with vision. And so I think the most important place to start is what is it that you're trying to create and then kind of like back into the agenda or the programming from there. Wouldn't you say that that ultimately what we're trying to create, just like we are for our, our customers, is wow? Yeah. And and the way you create wow is not as complicated as you think. You have to understand what people's expectations are, and then you have to intentionally engineer something that exceeds those expectations. Mm-hmm. So if the average person thinks that coming to an annual meeting is going to be boring or mildly interesting, then how can we make it really interesting and how can we make it not boring mm-hmm. so that we exceed their expectations and they go, wow, that was an amazing experience. Well, meeting culture may be broken, but there is a way to do meetings right and use properly the meeting can supercharge your team's productivity if you structure it at these three levels, one-on-one meetings, work group meetings, and entire team meetings. You guys have given us some uh, fantastic insight into how to go about structuring those types of meetings. Any final thoughts you want to share with the listeners today? I think it all starts with intention and clarity about the outcomes that you're trying to create in any of these types of meetings. If you start with that and then you um, engineer the agendas or, or the programming, as I said before, to that end, uh, a lot's possible. If you're um, passive about it and you just kind of go along with what's always been done, then you're not going to be satisfied with the outcome. But um, so much can happen in great meetings and uh, if you're if you're just open to it. I would say, too, that you have to be deliberate as a leader about how you talk about meetings, because if you hate meetings, if you think meetings suck, and if you communicate that constantly, then that's going to be people's reality. And I think you could begin to shift the reality in your thinking, and in particular in your vocabulary about it, because meetings don't have to be a time suck. They don't have to be a waste of time. They could be one of the most productive things you do. And if they're not, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault as a leader, because mm-hmm. everything rises and falls on your leadership. Well, guys, thank you. Appreciate these insights. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Larry. And thanks, you guys, for joining us for Lead to Win. And join us next time. We're going to talk about delegation. But get this, even if you don't have a staff. Until then, Lead to Win. Lead to Win.